Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Daniel, thank you, and it's good to be with you yet again for another clinic. I'm still smiling because apparently when I stand in this stage, I have a smiley face drawn on the ground, and I have a hard time staying on the smiley face. And Paul Cheney, who's in the studio with me, says, stand on the smiley face, and I'm saying, but but you don't stand. I mean, it seems like wrong thing to do, this poor smiling creature below, and I must stomp on him. In any event, it's usability. And uh, four surprising discoveries we learned after testing the most common usability principles. You know the topic, but I think today is particularly interesting because we're going to be looking at a sort of new way to think about usability and the way it integrates with conversion and some of the problems that you might be experiencing if you were to take many of the sort of common usability best practices and assume they work in your particular situation. This event, this clinic is made possible by Bronto, and we want to thank them. There's millions of dollars of research that we're delivering on these clinics, and we do so without charging anyone, and Bronto has made that possible today with this clinic, and uh, we're very grateful for uh, their, uh, their contribution to uh, all of the marketers that are involved. You can hashtag at hashtag webclinic. Uh, that's the place to tweet what you're uh, learning today, and onward we go. Let's skip my bio, go straight to a fascinating case study. This is Test Protocol 1283. It's an Italian e-commerce website offering cosmetics. The researchers were focused on testing different approaches to the body category page. The goal was to increase the rate of conversion, and the simple question was, which page will generate this highest rate? Now, I point this out because I remember this experiment, at least in this context. This is a leading company. It is the leading company in Europe in its category. They're stronger even than the body shop and some of the big brands that you may know. And they had enormous experience in direct response, direct marketing. They had a control that had outperformed any treatment test for years. And this whole group constantly tests because there are 50 years of uh, background in direct response. We were testing a particular page, and you'll notice that the control, and that's the page we began the test with, listed all the main categories of the body products. And all the products are listed below by category, depending on what you select up at the top. This was the control. Now, we sort of questioned that and said, is the category list at the top of the page the most user-friendly way to present the information? Now, you can imagine sort of the field day that usability experts might have as they start thinking about their principles. See, usability was a discipline that began before the Internet came along. It had to do with ergonomics, and it had to do with product design. And as the Internet grew, some of those usability experts began advising on how a web page ought to look. A web page is essentially a communication vehicle, and it's really about the sequence of thought. And many of the principles pulled in from standard usability as it was developed by psychologists have assumed by many marketers to be valid, but in practice they can be questionable. I'm not against usability. In fact, I'm going to talk to you about how to use it. 
But in doing so, think about what you would do with this page, approaching it through that sort of usability lens. And as you do so, here's the treatments we designed. First one is called T1, and it built a configurator. Look at the top of the page on the left. Treatment 1 seeks to make the page easier to use by adding an interactive tool that enables visitors to customize the, the products that show below. And you can sort of sort by category, by objective, or by product line. Next, you'll notice a new, a different approach, a visual sort of uh, approach where all you see are uh, simple sort of uh, page categories that uh, you can click through and get more information. This is treatment two, another approach. Here's treatment three. This is a radical redesign. It seeks to make the process easier by removing the entire body category page and just embedding it in the menu. And treatment four, this is a different approach too. This sort of takes that menu idea, but it displays the products at the base of the menu. Now, this is an intelligent test, and I want you to notice that in its overall design, it doesn't simply try to make an incremental improvement on the original, but it challenges the very logic of the original page with three or four completely different approaches. Some are hybrid, some are radically different in their own right, but each challenges the hypothesis that drove the design of the first page. I, I share that with you because, first of all, I'm interested in which page you think performed the best. You have a Q&A feature, audience. Use it and tell me. Yes, the test ran at the same time, Dave. This was, um, this was uh, you know, a standard factorial test. T4, T2, Heidi says T4, uh, T2 says Graham, and uh, T1 says someone else, T1, T2. Robert says the control. And uh, T4, T3, I'm reading these as they come in. Michael said, look at T1, Karen says T1. Uh, Shamita says T1, and on the list goes. John says T2. Which one of these produced? T4, T4, T4. Marketers, can you see that at least the audience itself doesn't agree? We're studying all of your responses. We'll read every single one of these. And, and marketers from all over the world, experts are logging in with their thinking. But even this group of experts that are regular attendees of our own events are not agreeing which one of these pages is the best. Now, that's very important because it actually informs the way we think about usability in, in its entirety. But for now, I'd like to show you the data set. On my right is the result. The configurator set had a very significant increase. For this group, this translates into many millions of dollars and a huge hit because of the amount of uh, care they have already built into their page designs and uh, their significant direct response experience made it hard for them to get a dramatic lift. This is a 20% increase using the configurator approach. By the way, we've had a lot of of a success with carefully designed configurators. And I'll, I'll share more about that with you later. For now, I want you to sort of think about this question. Why did the configurator beat all the other methods? What was it? Was it the usability of the page? If so, what made the configurator more usable than the other methods? As you, as you ponder that question, let me give you some key principles. Here's the first. Focusing on usability can hinder the effective approach to optimization. It often undermines the sequence of thought, the micro-yes approach that can ultimately, you know, and it can ultimately hinder your result. An overemphasis, and this is vital, on usability confuses the means with the end. 
The goal of our website is not usability. Now, that sounds like blasphemy, but listen to me. The goal is buyability. The usability factor is useful when you're helping people achieve the true objective of the page. And in a purchase process, it's the buyability, really, a sort of, a, a sort of ultimate standard for the effectiveness of a page. It brings me to a third approach or a third uh, principle. Usability, when viewed properly, can still be a really valuable tool for helping marketers identify hidden psychological costs in the conversion process. I am not against usability. If you're a usability professional, this clinic is not about saying that your work doesn't have value, but it is about positioning it within the wider matrix of tools that are necessary to achieving the highest possible conversion rate. In fact, if you look at this slide, you'll see that we have a whole series of tools on the left that are useful in their predictive power. I mention that because all valuable customer research should enable you to predict customer behavior. Any research that doesn't enable the prediction of customer behavior is likely a waste. More importantly, um, using these tools can help you form the hypothesis, and every good test should be driven by a customer hypothesis. I am essentially trying to help all of you think like philosophers and scientists about marketing. That's been the mission for 20 years. I have a background in experimental philosophy before the term was popular. And in my mind, it's this blend at Mech Labs between philosophy and science and practice that has enabled us to sort of capture the insights that have driven uh, our own learnings and our growth. And, and the hypothesis derives the design of a test. And here you see usability highlighted because it is one of those valuable tools that helps you build the hypothesis. But it is not the ultimate standard for the, the efficacy of the page. The efficacy of the page is a determination made not by a usability expert, but by the customer. The customer has the ultimate vote not the usability expert, and the customer votes with their behavior, not their stated opinion. Now, keeping that in mind helps me sort of move to the next place, and, and that is if you'll notice that all usability claims must be tested. And I'm watching responses coming in, and I see a name on the screen from years ago, Dennis Damio. Dennis, uh, it's good to see your name. I hope you're doing well. And uh, I'm glad to see you're involved with the clinic. I remember you from, I don't know, five years ago, perhaps. Take a look, if you would, though, at this fourth critical point. All usability claims must be tested. Usability should not be the determining factor. Again, buyability is the determining factor. And the only way you know the buyability of a page is the customer behavior. Which brings me to the whole point of today. And if you haven't noticed, please notice that this presentation is going to be dense. Quick, lots of content, rapid. I don't like to speak too fast. I don't like to speak too slow. Often when I'm teaching in a certain environment, in a tutorial setting, it's very slow and interactive as our thoughts are developing. It's very reflective. In a clinic like this where you're busy and you've scheduled valuable time, I want to fill every moment with as much help as I possibly can. That's what drives the entire MechLabs team and the marketing experiments group within MechLabs. And so I have four discoveries that we're going to discuss today. And let's look at the first one. Short is not always sweet. These discoveries are grounded in research that we've done here. And here are two quotes that we've lifted from usability materials. Keep it short. 
got to copy and keep the most important points of message near the top. And here's another. The material that's the most important for the user's goal of your business school should be above the fold. You, you hear lots of this and lots of focus on short type pages. But is that always right? Well, let's look at what the tests indicate. Notice the conversion increases that you typically see by shortening a page. In fact, here is a, an experiment from the past a long time ago. And you'll notice as the page gets shorter, the conversion rate goes up. So there are times when a shorter page produces a better response. But is this always the case? No. And in fact, if you look at this experiment, Test Protocol 1662, you'll see an addiction and mental health rehab facility. And uh, by the way, probably the most famous rehab facility in the entire world. A lot of celebrities go there. And, uh, and in this particular case, we're trying to increase the responses. And, uh, and it's really not leads, it's inquiries. They're a medical facility. They don't think in terms of leads. Uh, but uh, we're using marketing language to help translate that into your, you know, everyday vocabulary. And uh, as they genuinely want to help people, they're trying to find the right patients. And in doing so, you know, they have a control page. And here you see it. It's carefully designed. There's a lot of money that's been invested in thinking through the best way to find the best patients that they can help the best. So here on the left is the average short form page they use. The call to action is above the fold on the right hand side and they're using classic sort of usability thinking about some of the page design. Now, here is the experimental treatment. And I want you to notice that you're not looking at the web page we designed. You're looking just at the top. In fact, if you look on the left of the diagram, what you're going to see is that it is a very long page. In fact, let's walk through it. There's the top of the page. There's the middle of the page. There's the bottom of the page. And there, finally, many folds down, is the call to action. There's the two pages side by side. The treatment is nearly double the length of the control. And in terms of pure copy, it's longer than that. And with that in mind, let's look at the results, which are these. A 220% increase in total conversion. Now, something's going on here. Something very important for every single person who's tuned into this particular clinic. And we need to understand what that is. And I can best help you by giving you some more key principles. We control the chronology of the mind with the geography of the page. In other words, as you move through the page, and as you are designing this page, you should be designing it to synchronize with the ideal thought sequence of someone interacting with your product mix. See, marketers, we're not in the job of making claims. We're in the job of helping foster conclusions. People should be drawing a conclusion about us, our product, our company, based on the clues and the information you provide in a very structured way that matches their thinking pattern. And it's necessary to guide the visitor through the information very carefully. And generally, there's a direct relationship between the cost and complexity of an offer and the amount of information that's required for a person to feel comfortable making a decision, and thus for us to achieve a conversion. So listen to that second point. It's very important. In situations where the cost or complexity is high, longer pages often produce stronger responses. I've seen it over and over again. I've had people say to me, but, but uh, Dr. McLaughlin, uh, uh, you know, people won't read it. You're almost right. The only people that will read it is the right people, the right person, the person whose need is acute, who, who is trying to make an authentic, informed decision, and those are the people you actually want to be talking to. So, let's keep going. 
uh, to a second point in just a moment here. Navigation is not always necessary. Now, I'd like to say a lot more about long copy, but we've done full clinics on that, and you can go back to our site and you can study it and think about long copy and short copy and some of the other work and research that we've done. For now, I want to show you something else that I think is rather counterintuitive. Navigation is not always necessary. Now, if you're in usability, you may find uh, that this is is a shock to you because navigation is so important in all of our thinking. But let's look at some common quotes from usability literature. Users want to have control. Navigation is arguably the most important part of your website. And uh, give users complete control of your website by allowing them to navigate, etc., etc. And these statements are not necessarily false. They are emphatic statements that imply generalizations that many of us use in our own work in a way that's getting in the way with viability. And let me explain that by showing you some examples of what not to do and what you should do and what the difference is. Here's a page with navigation, not this, but this. What's the difference between the two pages? A 548% increase. Here's a page uh, with navigation, not this, but this. A 155% increase. Now, by the way, if you're new to Mech Labs, when you see these increases, these are not some little test run. There's a lot of sites on the Internet promoting little tests, and you're trying to figure out which test is better than the other or which test won. The reality is these are carefully grounded in scientific test protocols with all the data studied carefully for validity threats and built into a certified treatment with an experiment that has enormous science behind it. So these are very careful numbers you're reading. Look at the next one. Not this, but this. What's the difference? A 24% increase. And look at this two pages. There's only one difference between them. The nav. Not this, but this. What's the difference? A 56% increase. You say, well, this is confusing for me. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, navigation is so important. What's going on here? When would I use navigation and when would I not use navigation? Well, let's talk about that. In fact, some of the comments coming in... Uh, People are saying, are the new pages example of landing pages? They all seem to have a more specific purpose. You're, you're, you're right, and they are landing pages, but let's talk about that with the principles you see behind you. Navigation presents a series of competing options. Think about it. Many different links. And it almost always diffuses attention. Now, that's not always bad. You can't understand the first principle without the second. Navigation should be utilized as a channel-like tool to help the customer move towards an offer. That's an insightful comment. I didn't actually write that sentence. Austin McCraw wrote it, and it's well said. It's to help the customer move towards an offer, not away from one. And for this reason, for the average site, this means that navigation should be emphasized on the directory pages, like your home page and category pages, Places that are front doors or entrances to more of your site, but they should be de-emphasized on core destination pages so that people are there and can make choices without too many competing options. Now, mind you, I'd like to say more about this. You do understand that every single point that I've given you today as a main point could be its own clinic, its own web clinic, its own article. I can only touch them because we're thinking in a more broader way about the notion of usability and conversion, and so I move quickly to my third point. The third point is options are not always helpful. Here's some more quotes from usability literature. Having choice is considered a good thing. We are used to choices, and we value dearly if we can be in control. And here's another one. When people have no choice, life is miserable. As you start adding options, you increase well-being. Someone else. 
the more choices, the better. Now, that's interesting, but let's look at the facts. Test Protocol 1213, Integrated Software Solutions for Businesses and Enterprises, companies seeking to increase free trial signups. Which page is going to produce the highest lift? Is it this page on the left, or is it the page on the right? And, and let's look at the differences between the two. The main differences are there at the bottom. The image is still there in both of these, back and forth as it rotates on the right, because that's sort of a flash presentation. But look at the difference in the, in the actual options. What's the difference with the treatment? A 78% increase. Over and over again, we found that when we are careful about presenting too many options, we're able to achieve higher conversion rates. People don't need many options. They need the right options. And remember, in the cognitive sort of velocity that develops as you move through the thought sequence associated with a purchase, you don't want to slow people down and ask them to make meaning of any particular point. You want to help make the meaning for them so that they are galloping ever faster towards the inevitable conclusion of the purchase. That can't happen when you make them stop and evaluate different options all along the way. You lose the momentum, and it's momentum which pushes them past some of the hesitations and natural frictions in the process. So then, when possible, marketing collateral should not lead a prospect to a set of potential options, but rather to the one option. Beware of unsupervised thinking. Beware of undirected thinking. Because when that happens, the person has to sort of sort it out on their own. And this will cost you. Let's keep going to point four. Because if we can get through this fourth point, I'm going to do live optimization looking at pages that you have submitted. Here's number four. Minimal is not always optimal. Now, what are we talking about? Well, minimalism is a sort of... Uh, popular aesthetic movement and it's beautiful and actually it's it's a it's an approach that I prefer in almost everything I do and in my own taste but we need to be careful according again to these quotes aesthetic and minimalist designs dialogues should not contain information which is irrelevant or rarely needed that's true a minimalist design draws the user to focus on the main subject at hand this is true also but sometimes in our pursuit of minimalism we cost ourselves conversion. I want to show you a sort of confusing study. Take a look at this uh, particular uh, treatment on the left, treatment on the right. Treatment two takes a more minimalist approach. But treatment one outperforms treatment two by 14%. Now, look at this next slide. Here's treatment three. Treatment 3 takes an even more minimalist approach by completely removing the page altogether and letting the visitor jump straight to the category through the navigation. But this did not improve conversion at all. What's going on here? Well, in all, Treatment 1 was the most complex version of the page from both a design and a process standpoint. And yet it proved to be the easiest and most useful experience for the visitor. You see, we do not optimize web pages. We optimize thought sequences. And our goal is not to minimize complexity. Did you hear that? Our goal is to minimize confusion. And complexity and confusion are not identical. Complexity is a simple sort of state. 
confusion is an internal condition. It is the result of something, but not necessarily complexity. Information, say, presented in the wrong order can create confusion. A lack of information can create confusion. And indeed, sometimes in our effort to reduce complexity, we intensify confusion because we don't understand how the mind is, is working its way through this sort of mental journey necessary to making that decision. At Mech Labs, we study one thing only. This is all we've studied all of these years. Why do people say yes? Which implies a lot of experiments where we watch them say no. And in many of those cases, while marketers are trying to learn persuasive words and brand new tactics and develop alternate ways to present information and, and create beautiful flash presentations and bring a Huda level of art and multimedia and think about SEO and all the other considerations, they forget the simple principle that we've been saying here for years. Clarity trumps persuasion. Clarity, let us call it the, the inverse or the opposite of confusion, is not necessarily achieved by a lack of complexity. What is complex is complex by its very organic nature. What you don't achieve when reducing the complexity is necessarily reducing the confusion you actually increase it. Now, in many cases, our pages have too much information. And in all of those cases, it helps to reduce that information to get greater clarity. But again, the goal is not to minimize complexity, but rather confusion. And minimizing the confusion in the mind will at times include adding elements to a page. Marketers, I want to make you philosopher. A three-minute philosophy lesson. Here's the philosophy of optimization. You can only do three things to a page. You can... Take away, you can add, or you can change. There's nothing else you can do. When you're looking at that page you want to fix right now, you have three choices. You can add, you can take away, or you can change. Most of us uh, struggle not knowing whether we should add or take away. But when adding generates greater clarity, it's the right thing to do. When taking away gives you greater clarity, then it is the right thing to do. When changing helps intensify the value proposition, brings clarity, credibility, and focuses on the appeal, explains the exclusivity, then indeed it is the best thing to do. At the heart of all this is a whole different way to think. And this slide is the most important slide in the deck. And I just want to take a moment to discuss it with you before we go into anything else. On the left is the standard approach that you see taken to optimization. I call it rule-based. We learn a rule somewhere. We hear the rule at a conference. We read the rule in a blog. We, we, we hear it from a colleague and we sort of keep it in our mind or it just gets stuck there. And when it comes time to design a page, people sit down and talk about the page. Our pages are like camels. Someone said a camel is a horse put together by a committee. We design pages and it's more of a design by compromise than it is by excellence because there are a number of people with different opinions at the table talking about what should be done and they're all recalling rules and trying to apply them into the situation and often the page becomes a compromise. It's sort of developed with a social dynamic instead of a science dynamic. On the right-hand side of the screen is a different approach. For 20 years, we've been trying to build a meta-theory here. We say 15 in a lot of our research because we're trying to be conservative, but it goes back a long ways further than that. A meta-theory that helps someone understand why people would say yes to any particular option, any particular offer. And it applies to many fields beyond marketing, but marketing is a wonderful way to test the theorem. 
And that meta-theory needs to be pushed into a repeatable methodology. And anybody that's a regular on these clinics knows about the conversion sequence. You see it right there. C equals 4M plus 3V plus 2I minus F minus 2A. That sequence uh, has helped generate hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in, and recover that leaking revenue that's in our, our, our marketing pipelines. But it's repeatable. It, it touches the cognitive psychology of the process. If you don't know about it, go onto our website and look up conversion sequence. It's free. There's $20 million of research in there now. Free at marketingexperiments.com. Just go in and, and do a search. Once you have a repeatable methodology, you push it into practice. And that practice allows you to continue to iterate and improve. Now, part of this process is the never-ending sequence of testing. Optimization is not an event. It's a process. So, if you put all that together and you look at these four points, you sort of see the key to what we're talking about today. And the greater lesson is not from any one of these four. The greatest lesson is in a whole different way to think. It's not about usability. It's about viability. And usability is useful. But it is limited because it presents often our opinion of what the customer will want or do. In the end, our opinion as marketers or as scientists is not as powerful as the customer's behavior. We have too much company-centric logic, not enough customer-centric logic. Keeping that in mind, I'm going to take the last few minutes we have together and wrap this up. Uh, by the way, Austin's put a slide in here. He's going to be teaching next week how you can use email or the next clinic, I think it's a couple of weeks, to discover the essence of your value proposition. Why is he doing this? Austin, you've heard him before. He's a, a superb teacher. He helped develop a lot of our value proposition research. He taught this at our last event to summit in uh, Las Vegas, and it was highly received. And so we're going to bring it to you so that you can think about using email to test your value proposition. That's coming up. In the meantime, let's look at a page submitted. This was given to us by Robert. The goal is to capture leads for partnerships. The primary traffic source is organic and direct ads. Target audience, potential research partners, there's the page URL, and there's the ad. So here's the question that I would have for you. How could you improve this page? Audience, we've got a few moments. Tell me. Tell me. What would you do to make the page better? I'm watching your responses come in at a call to action. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, someone else says clear call to action. Somebody says better headline. Add a form. That's basically call to action. No call to action. Somebody else says, white on black text. That's right. Put some of all that content in uh, the... I couldn't read it. It went by too fast. There's too many pieces coming in. What to do? Yeah, what am I supposed to do here? Let's, let's look at the page. You've got three moves when someone hits this page. It's a mental process. It's always the same. Where am I at? What can I do here? Why should I do it? What we have here is an, is an attempt to create a page that I think is minimalist and that has a, a lovely design. Often it's the sort of page created by a company with a big budget and Merck has one. And they bring in an agency and they put something together that feels attractive. But it doesn't matter if it feels attractive if it's not achieving the objective. And in this particular case, um, I think it doesn't do enough of what is needed to help someone respond. It doesn't even tell me very clearly how I can respond. And it, and it really puts unnecessary steps between me and the action you want me to take. It needs a headline a good subheadline. It needs an opening paragraph, not more than three sentences that explains what you can do. That paragraph probably needs three or four bullet points that emphasizes the value of doing whatever it is you're asking to do, and then it needs a simple call to action on this page. You can probably double your response rate just by getting a call to action on the page. 
That's just design. In terms of look and feel, it needs to lose the images in the background. They're competing with the gray box over the top. I agree that it's attractive, but the goal is not to win a beauty contest. It's to win a partner. It's to win a customer. And so I would say, with all due respect, I would lose the entire look that you see below the banner and simplify it with clarity. Clarity, clarity, clarity. And Robert, it's brave for you to submit the page. If you can take some of these results or some of these recommendations and apply them and uh, send them back to us, we'll even give you comments. We won't charge you anything like that. We'll just try to help you get a new page up that will win in a test. In the meantime, let me go on to another page submitted by Jenna. And uh, this is the American Red Cross. And this is convert donor traffic. Jenna, we've done a lot of research in this area. We have a lot of specialists and more research taking place in this very specific area. In fact, uh, in our optimization summit, which is... By the way, the optimization summits, uh, the early bird discount ends this week if you're going to be in our Boston summit. I have no slides for that, so I'm not selling that. But we have 18 specialists coming in nonprofits. I just found that out today, who are trying to understand how to apply our methodology into the nonprofit space or not-for-profits. Look at this page. Audience, tell me what you do. Let me see your comments. We're running out of time, so we're going to do this very rapidly. Uh, it needs a simple mission statement and what to do next. It took until now for me to see that it says, in, oh, so that's the page above. Give me your thoughts. Optimize this page for the Red Cross and tell me what you would do. While your thoughts are coming in, let me make some statements. It, first of all, has a problem with a headline. It says donate funds. You say, well, that's not a headline. No, the page actually has two headlines. Where the need is greatest, which isn't a headline. It doesn't rec in fact, it makes it hard for me to understand what you're trying to say. Never use a headline that doesn't make clear meaning for me. Don't make me work to understand it. And even the smiling child next to it doesn't help me understand what it is you're trying to say. Donate funds is a title, but it's presented on the page like a headline. So now I have two headlines. And worse, where the need is greatest isn't even a complete sentence, which makes it more difficult for me to understand. And then I have a simple paragraph and I immediately ask for the money. Donate now. I think that is something that needs to be tested. Because the Red Cross has such a powerful brand, there are some people who just came there to donate, and they'll click on the button. But if you have people who have not made their mind up yet, whether to donate to the American Red Cross or United Way or Feed the Children or some other place, then you need to consider how you communicate the value proposition of the Red Cross for this particular prospect type coming to this page. And that requires you to give them more content that you can in that banner. The image may be valuable, but it needs to be tested. It may not be the best face. It may not be the best background. I would give this a much stronger headline, a subheadline. I'd give it some uh, key bullet points that emphasize the message. And I'd be very careful about the other three buttons below. Two below, one above, and I don't know which one to pay attention to. And I don't know how that connects to where the need is greatest. I'm out of time, I think. How am I doing, Paul? I have zero minutes left. I'd like to keep helping you, Jana. But if you'll take some of these thoughts and put them together, I will do my very best. Our team will to respond and help you get a page up that produces a lift. Listen, before you leave, take a moment and tell me if you like this clinic, if it's helpful. Sometimes our topics draw a unique or eclectic group. This was an unusual topic. We hadn't spoken using the word usability in a title for many years for many reasons. And we're trying to bring clarity to a confusing issue. Did this help you today? Let me know your thoughts. We would greatly appreciate that. You can use the Q&A feature. Plus, I think there's some sort of survey afterwards. But the Q&A helps me see right away what your feedback is. 
I uh, thank you for attending. And if you found this valuable, may I suggest that you tell a friend. That's all that we ask. We want to build a community of marketers who are discovering what works and sharing it with each other. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com.